I'm Shanna Martin, host of the Tech Tools for Teachers podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. I am excited to be here with you all on this wonderful evening. Uh, I hope everybody had a great start to your week, or depending where you are in the world, it may already be evening or well into Tuesday, but wherever it is that you are, thank you so much for making us part of your day. And we're definitely excited to be here with you with an amazing guest who's definitely got an amazing story, and I'm just so excited for him to share his passion and share his story with all of you all. But before we get to that, I just want to say again, thank you so much for all the likes, shares, and follows. Thank you so much for dropping us some great reviews, five-star reviews. I really appreciate it. As you know, our mission is to connect educators and creators one show at a time, and then that way you can go ahead and learn something from our guests that you can sprinkle on to what you are already doing great. So thank you, as always, from the bottom of my heart. So again, let's go ahead and get started. I am so excited here to welcome Mr. James O'Neill. Mr. James O'Neill, how are you doing this evening? Hey, Fonz. I am doing amazing, man. It's been a, a great day. And so I am doing good. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much. It is a, a great week. You know, we're starting again. I did post on Twitter earlier uh, today. I was like, hey, you know, every Monday, kind of like a fresh start. It's a clean slate. Show ourselves some grace and let's just continue moving forward, learning how to improvise, adapt and overcome because whatever comes our way, the weekend's always around the corner. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, sir. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. A yes, great sir. way to look at it. Yes, sir. Well, James, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I'm really excited about today's topics because today, I mean, we're not only going to be talking about math because I know you're definitely a math guy, but I want to definitely get into the body of work that you do because not only, you know, being an educator, but, you know, being a public speaker and just some of the things that you do, I will be sharing your website throughout the chat also as well for any audience members that will be with us live. But I definitely want to share your resources out there because I absolutely love the work that you do. But before we get into that, James, if you could, for our audience members that are catching us right now live or those that will be catching the replay and may not be familiar with your work yet, can you give us a little brief introduction and your context in education before we get into that superhero origin story? Yeah, cool, cool. That that works. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm James O'Neill. I am an eighth grade math teacher here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have been teaching for 15 years, 15 years in the classroom as a math teacher, specifically eighth grade. I did one year ninth grade, but it was just like eighth graders in a new building. So I don't really count that as like one year of high school. Um, I started, officially started a, an LLC called Mastery for All. Um, in 2020, during the pandemic, where a lot of people started their own businesses and started to branch out and do some things. Um, Mastery for All really centers the work of ma math education. But my specific focus is my heart for Black males in math education because of the demographics um, of where statistically they are always scoring. Um, if you look at the graph, of, if you just look at the trend of um, Black males in, in education, usually they are um, really high in the negative and really low in the positive. 
And so as I identify as a black male as well um, with my story, which I'll get to into later, uh, my work really undergirds uh, making sure that there is mastery for all and not just as a slogan. But if we lift those that are at the bottom, everybody that's on top, again, will um, be lifted as well. And so that's where majority of my work outside of the classroom happens, where I'll contract, be a contracted employee with different nonprofits and I work with them. And, you know, I speak and um, do professional development for teachers just to support the work of great math instruction, because I really believe it's a gateway subject and everybody needs access to these gates. So that's pretty much um, the little blurb about me. Yeah, excellent. And I have I just shared your website and I know all of that will be on the show notes, but I really love what you have done, you know, going through your website. You definitely seem like you have just an amazing personality, just the pictures that you have on there. Most importantly too, the YouTube videos that you have, which I highly recommend for all our audience members that are listening or watching live, you know, please make sure that you do go visit mrjamesoneal.com, mrjamesoneal.com so you can check out those videos because when you listen to them, you definitely hear such a powerful story, a powerful voice, a powerful experience that we're going to get into right now because as you know, Mr. James, I know that you just gave us yes, kind of that brief introduction, but for myself, every guest that I have on here, somebody that I have seen do some amazing work and just like I described your work right now, almost very superhero-like, you know, and we all know every superhero has an origin story. So I would definitely like to dive in deep to your superhero origin story from where this all started. And I always like to ask if you can also share with us if education was something that you already planned to go into from very early on, or was this something that came in later in life? All right. Um, so I'll start with that question first and then go into the um, the story. So education was not something that I was planning on doing um, because of the narrative that I heard in North Carolina always growing up. The teachers don't make enough money and blah, 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 blah. So I heard that negative narrative all my life. And I was just like, why would I go to college and get out and not make any money? Like the whole purpose is to go to college to get a degree so you can better your life. So why would I do that? Um, so to take us back to how I ended up in this for 15 years, um, I literally uh, was, I've always had pride in who I am. I don't know where that came from. I guess it came from my parents, the way they raised me. And I've always had pride in my community um, as being a black male and um, growing up being a black young man into a black man. And so um, one thing that I've always found myself doing is just pushing my, my friends that look like me. I've always had this accountability thing that I would literally like my friends had to point this out to me. I would literally ask, let me see your progress report. Like, let me what your grades look like and, and just get on them about like, you are not showing up for us. Like, I need you to do better. So I've always had that inner do better, like we can do better. We all can do better since I was a young kid. Um, and so what ended up happening is that my senior year um, in college, I mean, in college, in high school, I was always told, go to college, go to college, go to college. I'm the first to go to college. I never knew anything about college. I just didn't know anything about the process. Fonz, when I said I knew nothing, I didn't know you had to fill out an application, that you had to pay for the application. I knew nothing because no one was there. I'm from a very small town and was there to school me. 
But my um, high school counselor, Miss Swindell, came to me and said, hey, there's a scholarship to be a teacher. And it's um, a $26,000 scholarship that all you have to do is repay it by teaching in a low performing community or a community that needed um, help in North Carolina. And so I was like, $26,000. I grew up pretty poor. I ain't never heard of $26,000 before in my life. And so I knew that my parents would not necessarily give me any money to go to college. So I was just like, let's just take a chance. And I ended up getting the scholarship, ended up going to NC State, home of the Wolfpack. Um, and so I graduated. And um, from there, I really started my journey in education. So I kind of, I don't think things happen by chance. I think this is something I was destined to be. I just didn't know that I needed that extra push from my counselor to say, hey, um, here's a scholarship and it's going to give you $26,000. And so my college four years were pretty free. Um, um, I've gotten other scholarships and everything like that. And so that began the journey of me becoming a teacher. Um, and that's how I stumbled upon education or was guided by um, what I believe what I was meant to do is be an educator. Excellent. Well, that's such a great story because, I, I again, all it takes is sometimes just one person to just give yeah. you that push. And that makes a huge difference. And, you know, that's something that I truly believe in. Just like you said, you know, being in the classroom and learning, obviously, that not every student is dealt the same cards. Not every student, you know, comes in or is afforded the same opportunities. But one thing that I always said, you know, is I always encourage them to kind of break that cycle. You know, it's it's what you see in your environment does not define who you are and that you can actually be that one person, that one spark that can change, you know, that cycle or, or just break that cycle altogether and just start a, just a new path. And so just the fact that you received that encouragement and you said, wow, $26,000 and yeah. you got into college. And now let me ask you. So again, being a math teacher and doing math. So then was some, math was something that was fairly easy for you or was it something that, you know, you, you just kind of had, I, I want to say like either great teachers or was it just kind of something that you just said, eh, let me just kind of go with math. Where, where did that come from? <laughs> so my, my mom, um, who's in heaven now and my, my, my brother, my, my family, my close knit family that I grew up with will tell you that James loves being right. And so <laughs> as a little kid, when I found a subject that I could literally check that I was right, and prove that I was right. Oh, I fell in love. Like I immediately fell in love with math growing up. And so um, when I learned that there was such, such a thing out there and I it's it, I don't know, it's just something a part, a part of me just love seeing that. Oh, I'm right. Oh, I'm right. Ooh, I'm, and I can prove that I'm right. And I can see that I'm right. Like it just grew in me. And so um, I've had some I had some great teachers along the way. One teacher specifically um, changed my life, uh, Mrs. Simmons, who I had in eighth grade. Uh, so in my small school and sometimes in my stories, the story of so many other people, there were gifted students um, and they were labeled as gifted and they literally left the classroom to do their gifted stuff. So I remember sitting in a classroom and I was always making the honor roll and, um, and it was just me and my best friend, Chester. 
who was in the class and was two black males in the class. And I just saw all the white students would leave the classroom. And I'm just like, but my grades are better than y'all's. Like, I don't understand. Why do y'all get to go off and do the gifted stuff? And I'm left here in this classroom. And so in eighth grade, Mrs. Simmons, who taught the gifted students um, in Algebra 1 at that time, she gave um, me and my best friend Chester, along with this other uh, young man, Adam Dietz, um, he gave, she gave us a, this, this placement test to get into Algebra 1. And so I loved math, but I had never struggled with math until that year because I had no pre-algebra um, foundation like the gifted kids had. They were in pre-algebra in seventh grade, and then they moved to algebra in eighth grade. And so I found myself in what we call the productive struggle in math, and I fell in love with struggling to find the answer. Um, and so it it changed my life because I finally got on the track with the gifted kids. And I always felt like I now felt like I was included in their world, which I felt excluded from because they always literally left my world to go do their thing in another space. Um, and so that's pretty much how the math came about and where it just grew and grew and grew and grew um, from little little James on math and like, oh, I'm right to eighth grade, to high school, to college. You know, and that's great. That's such a great story. But one thing that I do want to highlight, like you said, is the ability that you had with mathematics to prove that you are right. You know, and this is interesting because currently, like I told you a little bit pre-chat, you know, my colleague who's the math content specialist, mm -hmm. he's an amazing math teacher. He's been doing it, I think he said like 19 years in the classroom, wow. plus what he's been doing as a curriculum uh, you know, or yeah, math content specialist. And then myself for eight years, uh, being actually 11 years, kind of being a math teacher from high school to elementary, you know, I, I have learned so much from him because when I came into as a math teacher, I taught math the way that I learned how to teach math. Yet when I kind of started hanging around with him, I was like, what is this that you're doing? And, you know, he would show how we would do addition and subtraction all the way from K through fifth using manipulatives, area model, using all these strategies that I had never seen. But looking at the way that he shares his practice with teachers, sometimes I think, man, I, I, I wish I can go back in time and teach my students this way because this is where I'm getting at, where a student, and I have seen it now, that when a student is able to prove that they're right as, as far as an answer, maybe they didn't do it the standard algorithm, mm -hmm. but they did it using either manipulatives or drawings, but they get the answer, they feel confident and they feel like, man, I can do this, that although I may not figure out the algorithm yet, but I know for sure that this answer is right because I used my models here. I used my, um, you know, fraction uh, strips and so and diagrams and so on. So I think that's something that's very powerful that you mentioned. And so I love that you threw that in there. Now, let me ask you. So now, okay, you've, you had your love for math. You pursued that. So let me ask you about your first experience in the classroom coming in, you know, freshly graduated and now being in the classroom. What was that like? And maybe if you can add, what is one thing you wish somebody would have told you before you started, you know, that day one? Yeah. So um, it's it's funny because, like you said, I learned math pretty much probably the same way you learned it. Um, algorithms, um, memory, uh, procedural things. It was very little conceptual understanding. And so I'll tell the story and I'll tell how I got into the classroom. I remember sitting in a 
uh, I think it was my junior or senior year in college. And my professor, um, Dr. Lee Stiff, God rest his soul, he was, I did not know how big of a math person he was, but he was literally um, the president of the National Council of Teachers of Mathemat Mathematics, um, the, the national president. And he was my professor in college. He never mentioned anything like that. Um, first black professor I ever had, first black male professor I ever had. And he literally asked us one day, uh, why does A squared plus B squared equal C squared? It just asked us why does that work? And no, none of us could answer that question in the classroom. And the reason why we couldn't answer the question because no one showed us why. They just told us how to work it out. And um, and so Dr. Lee Stiff had the amazing ability to make you feel this small uh, when you didn't know an answer. And so all of us was looking like. We don't. We can't tell you why this works. We just know that it works for a right triangle. We know how to solve for the missing side, and there it is. Like we know that in the word problems, oh, that's going to make a right triangle. I need to find that missing side. That's the, the situation. So he finally showed us why, and I was like, "What? That's why?" And so getting into the classroom, and I'll take you to your uh, actual question. But getting into the classroom. I found myself struggling in the beginning because all of a sudden everybody was asking why and no one shared it before I got there. <laughs> so it's just like, why does this work? Why does this work? Why does this work? And so I finally began to ask myself the same question. This is why geometry was so hard for me, because in math growing up, all of a sudden you get to a math that you have to reason through and no proofs and and analyze and before there before then you never really analyzed anything you were told this is what you need to do this is what you need to solve and now you want me to prove i haven't had a chance to prove anything along the way and then you get to geometry and that's why i suffered so much in geometry i didn't understand geometry until i started teaching it and i was like this makes sense now that I know that I need to make sense of everything. And so I found myself struggling making sense of the math because I didn't know. And so I started teaching myself and asking myself, well, James, why does this work? I remember the first time I asked myself, why does anything raise to zero power? Why is it one? Like literally, why is it one? And then you see the progressions as you're moving down a power, you're dividing by the base. It makes sense for it to be one and not zero. And so the same questions my kids were asking me, I began to ask myself, which then changed my prep, which brings me back to my point that you asked. What is one thing that I wish someone would have taught me before I went into the classroom? The why. Just the why. There needs to be in our um, in our prep for college, those classes before we teach the math, mm -hmm. we need a class to teach us how to teach the math. Like just because I can do calc two, which I had to take in middle school mathematics all the way up to that, doesn't mean I know how to teach triangle sum theorem. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that I know how to explain that. It doesn't mean that I know how to explain translations and transformations on a number line. It doesn't mean if I can explain integers to students. Just because I can do math doesn't mean that I can teach it um, in a way that students can digest it. So I think that is something that our prep, um, preparatory programs need to include more of. Why does this work? And how do you teach the why of mathematics? Oh, I love everything you say that like that's going to be a huge soundbite that I'll probably share with my math content specialist. And we'll probably end up putting it in all our Google classrooms that we have for our teachers because we're always sharing content. But it, the content that we do share is the why, because yeah. oftentimes, like I said, that's the way that I taught it. 
is just, well, this is why this is, and this is it. Like, you know, we don't share why we do things. And so now that I'm learning from him, he actually explains the why, for example, you know, doing area model, like the, you know, the area and then how the manipulatives or the area model works when you get to ninth grade, when they're multiplying, you know, with variables and equations yeah. and it just blows my mind. And, but he's, this is the why, you know, he explains it and I'm like, wow, like this just makes so much sense now. Excellent. All right. Well, James, let's continue a little bit more about our conversation because obviously, you know, you did talk a little bit about, you know, in your school setting, you know, I think you said it was in the classroom setting, it was only, you, you know, everybody else, except for the exception of you three students that were, you know, not included in the gifted or the gifted activities. So tell me a little bit about that as far as now the work that you do. I know that what you do is we talk about inclusivity for all equity in the classroom, which is something that is so important. So how did that come about too, as far as your not only math teaching, but really bringing that type of content and bringing that kind of teaching where you're bringing people together. Tell mm -hmm. me about that. Where did that passion spark? So that passion comes from my story. Um, I, I literally know now as a grown man that the same, I had hmm, some kind of knowledge of the expectation for me, but looking back now, I know the same expectation for me was not, uh, the same expectation for my white peers. And I understand, you know, bias is unconscious bias or bias in general. Um, if you, and this is where empathy comes into place. And this is why when I talk about my story, there is a, it comes from a place where I understand how we work as human beings. So if you grow up in a community and the majority of the black males in that community are not performing as well as the white or um, white males or white females, the expectation is every year you see the same thing. And then I show up on the scene in a as a black male and it's like, hey, I love learning. I want to learn and I'm going to perform at the same rate. If you constantly seeing the same thing as an educator that these students can and these students can't. Well, the expectation for me is that why would I be any different when I rarely see that? And so I my work now is centering around like you need to identify that as educators, we get conditioned in believing in who can and who cannot unconsciously like and you have to unpack that because of the simple fact that you're you're a human. If you walked outside every day throughout the week and it was always sunny you expect the very next day it to be sunny. Like it's, it's, it's what we, it's in our environment. That's what we've been trained to do. And the one day that is raining, like if you're in LA, you don't expect to walk outside and, and see thunderstorms throughout the entire week. No, that's what you expect in Seattle. You expect rain there. And so that's what we've been conditioned to believe. And so a lot of the work that I do is uh, allowing teachers to see that because if you don't see that and you don't recognize that, then you will never challenge that thought. And that thought needs to be challenged because you have now said to yourself unconsciously that these kids are able to and these are not. And so the work that I do is to tell you, first of all, you're saying it, whether you believe it or not, because I believe it even as a black man. You know, what I'm saying I have to always test and make sure and, 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 and try um, and just question my beliefs around certain things. 
and then tell tell you to now say, but they can. And a part of my work is convincing teachers, convincing educators, convincing principals, convincing parents, convincing the kids. Because when they see the same thing, when you walk into a classroom, I teach at a very diverse school, and it's one of the most amazing schools ever. But when you walk into the math classrooms, you can see that it's the highest level because of who's in the class. And so students believe that they don't belong there because they don't see anybody like them in that class. And so my passion for changing that is the fact that, first of all, I know I can do math. And I'm not this. I used to, and I'm gonna I'm be done after this. Fine, so I'm sorry. You just hit a, you hit a, you, you hit a nail. You know, and I just gotta go. But I used to um, marvel at the fact that I was the only one growing up in the space that I was in. I went to a predominantly white school. I went to a predominantly white high school, and so many times I was there as the only black man um, or one of two. I don't want that narrative anymore. I don't want to be the only one. I want there to be others because when there are others, then it's, it's convincing other people like, oh, they belong in this space too. And to convince people that look like me, like we belong in this space as well. And so that's where a lot of my passion comes from. Excellent. Well, I love that, you know, the, the passion that you share. And I absolutely agree as far as, and Amanda's joining us here. Amanda, even she's throwing in the 100, you know, so thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us here. Uh, you know, but what you said, you know, the convincing part, it, it's so interesting because I mean, I know we were talking about this pre-chat and I mean, I'm here in deep South Texas where it's pretty much, you know, 99%, you know, all Hispanic, you know, here, but there's this notion too, like, I mean, you you have that bias where teachers are like, oh, well, oh, you're going to get that kid. Oh, well, that kid is this and this. And I was always that one teacher that I was like, I don't know what you're saying because, I mean, they're doing the work here and they're doing everything great. And I had to convince my teachers. I had to convince my counselors. And like you said, a lot of convincing to say, like, you know what, like, they can do it. They're able to, they have the ability. They just maybe never were taught, for example, you know, standard algorithm all the time and they can't figure out the standard algorithm, but here's 10 other worksheets to practice the standard algorithm until you get it rather than say, Hey, let me show you how you can do this with a pictorial model, or let me explain this to you in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then the students just light up when they're like, Oh, that's all I have to do. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's all you have to do. And now you've got a student building up their confidence, but now it's convincing the teacher to say, oh, yes, they can. They can absolutely yeah. do it. And so what you're saying there just really resonates with me because that's constantly what I remember, you know, when we had the option to group our students. And so at the beginning of the year, they're like, okay, we're going to put these students together. These are not. And I was like, why? I mean, and, and, it, you know, I get it, it goes with kind of what with what you're saying. And, uh, you know, but again, there's there's always some flaws there in the education system in that sense. But yes, recognizing the bias, recognizing those preconceived notions of students really does, you know, can do some damage because then you're not really giving your effort in making sure that that student is successful because you just say, eh, it's all right. Like they'll figure it out next year. Just pass them along. They're not going to get it this year. I'm like, come on, you know? So yeah. anyway, that, that, that really spoke to me there too. So I kind of <laughs> had to get that out too as well. All right. So now like you're talking, you know, being a black male educator, can you tell me a little bit about that experience or what that was like for you? Uh, you know, when you first started, 
Is, is there, did you get, you know, just kind of like, well, like kind of what, what are they doing here or, or, or what, like this is different, you know? And again, I'm, I'm only asking because this is something that I, I'm not very familiar with and I want to learn more and see things through a different lens. So mm -hmm. again, this is a learning experience for me. Can you share a little bit about what your experience was like in the very beginning and maybe some obstacles or barriers that you have faced and overcome? Yeah, so um, that's a great question, Fonz, um, and uh, something that I don't, I'm not asked a lot, so it made me think about that a little bit while you were talking. Uh, so I remember stepping into the classroom and um, at different schools, and there were a different emotion. Um, one of the emotions was just like, oh my God, I didn't know you were here. I remember because I left North Carolina and I went to move to Pittsburgh. And um, and literally an open house um, parents and specifically the black parents will come in and say, I did not know you were here. I did not know who you were because, you know, James O'Neill. I mean, it doesn't necessarily um, speak black male. You know, it could be anybody. So when um, parents saw me for the first time, they were shocked and they were they felt relieved. And so I I, I received those feelings more so than what are you doing here? Um, more so than anything, because parents want there to be representation. And there is one thing that when you grow up culturally, not saying all black people are the same. We are not. We're all different. We're all everybody's different. Uh, but there are common struggles. There is a common thread within um, black America that many of us experience. And so when a parent and many of the grandparents walked to the classroom and saw a black man as a math teacher, it brought joy to their heart. Um, on the flip side, I ended up leaving one district and going into a district um, that was 97% white. Um, and so showing up in that space was a lot challenging for me. Uh, I look back now and I knew that it was something that God wanted me to do because it didn't make sense. It's like, why are you why are you doing this? This makes no sense. This is not even your demographic. This is not even the people that you serve. This is not even the people that you're passionate about, even though I'm passionate about all scholars. But you know why you're in education. You're there to lift up those individuals that look like you. But when I walked into that, in that space, there was a lot that I need to learn about myself. First of all, my value. Um, I had this internalized, what I recognize now was internalized racism when it came to myself, how I viewed myself as less than because of my race and feeling like I had to show up and work as uh, 50 times harder than anybody else because I, I carried all black people on my shoulder. I had to let a lot of that stuff go and I had to see people for who they were and then see people pass their race. So there was a lot of things that I worked on. But when you are in a predominantly white space like that and they see a black man, they have never seen a black man in a, in a math role or in a teacher role ever in their life. And the 2% of um, students that were students of color, 3% students of color, they're looking like we've never seen you in that role either. And so I've, I've always... Um, had different experiences, varying experiences, uh, more welcoming than anything because people recognize that representation does matter. And when they meet me and they look past my race and realize that this guy really cares about education, it's, it's all that matters. 
Excellent. Wow. Well, I mean, that's, thank you so much for sharing that. Like I said, it, and again, you know, this is definitely a learning experience for myself, but hopefully for everybody. So going along those lines too, James, I wanted to ask, it's like, you know, how can teachers and educators challenge some of these traditional notions of academic achievement also and create these inclusive, equitable classrooms? One of the things that I'm always, I'm always going to land on funds is our mindsets we have to challenge our mindset. And until somebody challenges it, we're not, we're two are always better, always better than one. You can only see what you see when you bring somebody else in to be like, do you know you do that? Do you know you talk that way? Do you know you lean? I have um, a friend, um, a colleague next door and she videotaped herself and she realized that she talked to the females way more than she talked to the males. And it's only because she recorded herself and saw like she leaned towards more female heavy. And then she corrected that practice. Again, someone has to come in and say, not always, but many times it just helps for someone to challenge our mindsets. And so if we deal with the mindset and really deal with the fact that all students can and and then show teachers how to teach in a way that welcomes all students and the brilliance of students and that you're not the person that's carrying all the information, give them a chance to struggle, give them a chance to formulate reasoning, give them the a chance to talk to their partner and make connections, your mind starts to change because you start to see kids do things that you've never thought finds that they're able to do before because you've never given them the ability because you didn't believe that they could. And so that has to be challenged first before mathematical practices, instructional practice from teachers really go to the next level. That's that's my firm belief. Wow. Excellent. I love that. And I love the passion that you are bringing with this, James. Thank you so much for that experience. So let's talk also a little bit more of the work that you're doing, you know, just kind of out there. Like you said, you know, you started your LLC and of course you do a lot of the public speaking, but if you can tell us a little bit about, of course, and I'm just reading here straight from your website where it says you're mm -hmm. a champion of equity for all, bringing mastery for all and raising the expectations for all. Where did that come from as far as equity for all, mastery for all, and expectations for all? Yeah. So um, it's, again, it's weaved in my story. Um, I've had, and I say this humbly, but unapologetically, I've had a lot of success with students' growth in my class. And when I started seeing the growth that my students were making, I really started to dive in to say, what am I doing? that's different from other people. And um, my colleague next door who has amazing growth as well, her growth is even higher than mine. Um, I began to ask her and probe her, what are you doing that this is not necessarily happening even in our building among other teachers? Um, and no, no shade to that, um, that when kids get in our classroom, our, we are able to take kids to another level. And so like the mastery for all, the equity for all, the expectation for all, when those things are combined, really the expectations as a foundation, which then brings to the then speaks to equity, then will speak to the mastery of the students. When those expectations are set, we just believe students can. We just really believe that we can teach math in a way that students can get it. And I tell my kids all the time, I just believe that this makes sense. And when it makes sense to you and you can make it make sense with somebody else, that that is an equity move because so many kids, Fonz, are sitting in math classrooms specifically and not getting it. 
And when they don't get it, they are not going to try. And when they don't try, then they're not going to master. And when they don't master, Fonz, what's up? We know what's going to happen. The same gaps between the same group of individuals, usually predictable by race, continues to grow wider and wider and wider. And so that's where a lot of that mastery for all, equity for all, expectation for all really comes from. And I love that, that you said, you know, one of the things that um, my math content specialist and a big shout out to him, Richard Palomin, you know, one thing that he says is, and very similar kind of what you're saying is if the student is, su is successful, uh, you know, the, the, the student is not going to be a behavior issue. So he, and that, that's kind of his mentality when he goes mm -hmm. out and shares with teachers, he says, you know, if you have students and, and of course that may not always be the case, but he says that if you do have a student that is struggling, you know, that struggling turns into frustration, that frustration when the student can't be successful and is not quite, you know, learning at the level of somebody else, they kind of just kind of give up and then they may become, you know, they're voicing their help, but sometimes they may, you know, misbehave to kind of get some of that help or some of that attention. But he says, you know, if you help them succeed in just showing them more than just the standard algorithm, but you have maybe two or three options that you can go to and then they start seeing like, wow, okay, I got this, you know, I can do it this way then that really helps. And so it kind of goes a little bit what you're saying, you know, that yeah. mastery, you know, and of course, if they're successful, they're going to feel great. They're going to continue moving forward. They're going to be uh, paying attention. They're going to continue to grow. And that's absolutely what we want for all of our students. So, okay. So going back to, you know, what you were speaking about as far as uh, the classroom, what we, now that we're kind of almost wrapping up here, I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you, what is some advice for any educators out there, regardless of where they may be, that you can give to them as far as, you know, uh, culturally responsive teaching? What could we do better that you think might be just something incremental, one little thing that can make a big incremental difference right from the get-go? It, I love this question, Fonz. I love it. I had a student teacher this past year, and with this student teacher, um, I realized that she was formulating the belief that the students cannot because they were not having success on a particular concept. And because I've been the teacher for many years, I was like, oh, but they can. And um, I said, don't blame those kids. Ask yourself, what can you do differently so that they get it? Ask yourself, what do they, what are they not understanding? And when she asked herself that, she came, she found the root of the issue, went in the classroom the very next day, corrected it, and then the students got it. And so if there is a practice that I constantly believe at the core of great mastery teaching is not blaming the kids, asking yourself, what can you do to present the material in a way that is different so that they can get it or asking yourself, what is the missing concept? Because if we don't do that, we start blaming kids that we start saying they can't get it. But if I put them in a different classroom, they can. So it can't be the kids. It got to be something that I'm presenting. And it, and it takes maturity for you to realize, like, look in the mirror. I'm the issue. It's not the kids. They can get it. There's something that I'm missing. And I think with that practice, you will always become a better teacher because you're not blaming those kids. Yeah, absolutely. You know, right now when you said that, I, I don't know if you saw my face kind of react because 
that reflection piece is so important. And what what happened, and I'll just kind of tell this, you know, quick story because it was a learning experience uh, for both, you know, myself and my colleague when I first transitioned into um, sixth grade, which here in our district is still considered elementary. We have K through six and then okay. seven, eight, and then nine. So I came in from ninth grade teaching and then now teaching sixth grade. And what happened is, you know, I was teaching, I was like, all right, you know, getting used to sixth grade kids. And I was like, well, there isn't much of a difference except the age, but the maturity was still kind of the same at the time. But I worked with a diff with a colleague. So there was two pods. And what happened is one day, um, or I think maybe she was out for a couple of days, she had laryngitis. And so uh, my principal said, hey, can you teach her math class, you know, and kind of just kind of go back and forth while she's out so she doesn't, you know, fall behind or the kids fall behind. And I was like, sure, no problem. And so I started teaching the kids just the way that I would my own kids. And, you know, the students were like, wow, they're like, Mr. Mendoza, like, like, I understand this, like this, this, you make this so much easier and I'm understanding. And they, they got really excited. So for two days I did the math class and so on you know, teacher comes back, my colleague comes back, she's doing a lot better. Uh, but man, those kids were just very like, wow, they like ripped into her in the way like, well, I don't like the way you explain it. Mr. Mendoza explains it a lot easier and so on. And so that caused a little bit of friction. But when mm -hmm. we both sat down and we talked and we said, and she, you know, I said, well, look, let me show you what I did a little different, which wasn't much more different than what she did. It was just the way, the the explanation, the the pictorial aspect of it that I taught. And then, but like I said, it was a beautiful growing experience for both of us in the sense that I was able to help, but I also learned, you know, that not everybody teaches or the same way, the math, yeah. even though, yeah. you know, we do have standards, but the delivery can be different. And yes. just that one little tweak in delivery can make a huge difference for a kid's success. So yeah, definitely wonderful. So I love that, you know, that piece of just reflecting, turning the mirror on yourself, because oftentimes the root, like you said, is not with the kids, but it could be with ourselves. So yeah. thank you for that, James. That's just wonderful insight. I really appreciate it. And, you know, this has been just an amazing conversation and just really exciting. Love your energy and I love the work that you're doing. And before we go into that last segment where I love to ask my uh, guests these final three questions, if you can, James, please make sure that you share and plug. How can our audience members connect with you? Not only maybe just to, you know, maybe ask some questions, but maybe some possible, you know, ways that you can be come and do some speaking for their districts. What's the best way that they can get a hold of you? For well, my website is probably the best way because it has all my contact contact information. Um, www.mrjamesoneal.com. Um, but my social media hang handle is on the screen at Mr. James O'Neill. And that's on Instagram and Facebook. And then Twitter, you lose the um, remove the period because somebody had already took that name. <laughs> so, uh, But it's uh, Mr. James O'Neill. And that's the best way to contact me. If you really feel um, like you want to email info at mrjamesoneill.com will also um, be a great way to speak uh, or get in contact with me. Excellent. Well, James, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. But before we go, let's go ahead and wrap up with my favorite segment too as well, asking our guests these final three questions. So question number one, James, in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? Current edu kryptonite. Um, it is 
the mindset that these kids can't. That thing just, no, don't do. Um, That mindset that these kids can't, these kids can't, these kids can't um, is a kryptonite to me. Excellent. All right. Great question. And absolutely right. I have to agree with you on that one. All right. Now let's see if you thought about something for this one. Question number two, uh, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Uh, Fonz, I don't want to sound this repetitive, <laughs> but it's going to definitely be all kids can do math. And the reason why is because like um, what I said earlier, that this subject is a gateway subject and um, that the gates are opened up wide. Even in middle school, we start to see the gates start to push, push down high school content. And so there are literally kids getting ahead of the game in middle school. So when they get to high school, they're already ahead. So they now get to push down college courses. And so I just want to scream it out loud. All kids can do math. Excellent. And I second that big time because I I am a true believer of that now. Like I said, even in myself reflecting in my eight years of practice, actually 11 years of practice, you know, and like I said, teaching math the way that I was taught. I'm thankful that students did understand because I was still able to kind of personalize the learning and do a lot of one-on-one sessions and things of that sort. However, reflecting on this years later and and of course with what i've learned i absolutely truly at the core believe that all kids can definitely math they totally can for sure yes. all yes. right james the last three questions and i know that you are a podcaster yourself so this should be maybe kind of easy but you know let's say that this tonight this was the mr james o'neill show and i was your guest what would be one question you'd like to ask me I would love to just hear a piece of your origin story. All right. Piece of my origin story. Well, very similar, I guess, in a way to you in the sense that I didn't want to be an educator, sort of. I I said I want to definitely make some more money. And so I went into business, business school, graduated in 2003, did sales and marketing, uh, fork in the road moment uh, due to dad's illness, but he's great now. He's going to be 87 this year and Amazing. still going strong. So praise God for that. And then I fell into education and I absolutely fell in love with education. I mean, like my passion for learning and my passion for teaching and for everything that I get to do. And even now, you know, with the podcasting, I'm still learning and my mission, like you said, like I shared earlier, connecting educators, creators, one show at a time and amplifying educator voices, you know, giving them a space where they can come like yourself and just really let loose and share that passion so people can hear it anywhere that this podcast can be heard and just, you know, try and try and give back to this to education, this landscape that has given me so much. So that's kind of like the the really abbreviated mm-hmm. version of my origin story there. <laughs> Got you. I love it. 
I Excellent. Love it. Well, James, it has been an honor, a pleasure. I love your work. I love your energy. Continue doing what you're doing because you're doing some great things. And, you know, definitely stay connected because once you are a guest of the show, you always have a, an open invite. Anytime if you have a big project or big announcements or anything, uh -huh. please feel free to contact. And this platform is yours for you to share what you are doing. So thank you so much again for just this insightful show and for my learning. And of course, Amanda here is throwing this out too. Thank you, James. Jill Du Bois, thank you so much for joining us too. And for all our audience members that are going to be catching this on the replay, thank you so much as always for making my at my edtech life what it is today. Please don't forget to visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life. And please make sure you drop us a review, give us five stars, go to our podcast, give us a like, give us a share, give us a follow. So that way the algorithms can go ahead and share this out to many more people. And if you'd love to contribute to our mission, please make sure that you visit our website where we also have a merch store so you can get yourself a cap, you can get yourself a shirt, and just know that that all goes back into the show. This show, again, is really my passion and my mission uh, as far as amplifying educator voices. So again, thank you for making this platform what it is today through all of your support i really appreciate you all and don't forget my friends as always until next time stay techie